growth. Here are three disciplines that you need in your life to be the Christian that God has called you to be. Uh, I have three children. I love all three of my kids, and I'm willing to do whatever is necessary for my kids uh, to be the best they can be, uh, whether it's academically or whether it's in sports or, or whatever the case may be. If there is something that I can do for them to help them excel and succeed, uh, that is exactly what I'm going to be doing. I can't tell you how many pairs of socks I have bought my son because I know it will improve his football and baseball and basketball if he has the right socks. All right? You're my kids, all right? You guys are my family. And, and so I want to give you today the necessary disciplines for you to be all that God has called you to be. I've been a Christian for 46 years. And during those 46 years, I have literally met thousands and thousands of other believers. And what I want to share with you today, I believe, is the common denominator of every growing Christian, no matter who it is and no matter what their age is. You'll find these three things in every growing dynamic Christian, they are not optional. And I think if you're serious about the Christian life, you will build these three spiritual disciplines into your spiritual life. Now these disciplines deal with three areas, your time, your money, and your relationships. In these three areas, you need to develop some good disciplines and some good habits. If God is number one in your time, if God is number one in your money, and if God is number one in your relationships, then He is number one in your life. And if He's not, He's not. It doesn't matter what else we say. So here are these three disciplines. Are you ready? All right. And with every discipline, I'm going to give you three things. A reason, a routine, and a result, all right? So here's discipline number one. I'm calling it discipleship. In other words, you need to get time with God every single day of your life for Bible reading and for prayer. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not an option. To be an effective Christian, you have to be growing in your understanding and in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That can only happen through daily quiet time. So what is the reason for a daily quiet time? It's for you to grow. It's for you to get direction from God. Psalm 25 verse 4 says, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me. You know, sometimes we can get so busy in life that we forget what direction we're supposed to be headed in. Sometimes we get so busy, we don't even know where we are in life. It's like the pilot in World War II flying over the Pacific. He radioed back. He said, I have absolutely no idea where I am. I'm completely lost, but I'm making record time. Many times that's the way it is in our life. We're busy. We're chasing ourselves in circles. We're so busy, but we don't know where we're at, nor do we know where we're going. 
We need to slow down and get direction from God. And the only way we can do that is to spend time with God every single day. We talk to God in prayer. We allow Him to talk to us through His Word. And it's through that that we receive direction in life. I can tell you that every major decision in my life has been made in a quiet time with God where I've gotten alone with Him and sought His advice and His direction. Um, I came home from uh, the hospital on Thursday, and I'll tell you, I was not myself. I was, I was totally out of it. The, the thing I remember when I, when I woke up in, in, the, in the surgery area where they did the surgery, I, I heard the guy saying, he's fighting us. And you know what? I think I was. <laughs> I think I was swinging at him. I, don't, I sure hope I didn't hit anybody, you know. But, but I wasn't myself. Uh, and it wasn't, uh, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still not myself, but it wasn't until hours later that, that I started feeling myself again. And then the next day on Friday, I, I pulled out that packet that they sent home with me from the hospital. And there were some very important instructions in this packet. One, one of the letters said, do not sign any important documents. Do not make any important decisions for the next few days. And I totally, <laughs> I totally understand why now, yeah, because I wasn't thinking straight. How many crazy decisions have you made in your life simply because you weren't thinking straight? And it was not medicine induced. It was just you were so bombarded with the craziness of life that you forgot to slow down. And ask God, Lord, what do I need to do in this situation? Why do you need a daily quiet time? Well, you need a daily quiet time to get direction from God. What's the routine? Well, the routine is that to get alone with God. And I think Jesus is our model. Luke chapter 5 verse 16 tells us that Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness and there he prayed. You know, it, it's really difficult to get to know God in a huge crowd where it's always noisy. It really is. You can only get to know God on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And notice that this verse says that Jesus did it often. He often withdrew. Nobody had a busier, more hectic life than Jesus, but his quiet time was his source of strength. He had to have it. And friend, listen, if Jesus had to have that daily quiet time with His Heavenly Father, how much more do you and I need it today? When I was in seminary, one of my professors told us something very practical. I did learn a few practical things in seminary. This was one of them. And I know I've shared it with you before, but it's so good. He said, guys, listen, in your busy schedule, you need to divert daily and you need to withdraw weekly. And by that he meant this, every day I need to divert whatever else I'm doing and spend time with God, every day. And then weekly I need to withdraw from the busyness and the craziness of life and find a place where I can just be alone with the Lord. Well, what's the result of this? The result is very positive. You get God's help, you get His strength, and you get God's direction. John 15, 7, Jesus said, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you may ask anything you wish 
and you shall have it. Well, what an incredible promise. Jesus said, ask for anything and I'll give it to you. Now let me ask you, does God lie? No, God cannot tell a lie. He says, whatever you ask, whatever you ask and wish, that's exactly what I will give to you. And so you're sitting there thinking today, well, why don't I have it? Why don't I get what I ask for? Well, very simply, you have to meet the premise. With every promise that is in the Bible, there is a premise that goes along with it. God said, you do this and I'll do that. There's a condition for every promise of God that we have in the Bible. And here he says, if you do two things, then I'll give you what you're asking for. What are the two things? Number one, if you remain in me. And number two, if my words remain in you. So Jesus says, remain in me. That is, talk to me, fellowship with me. Walk with me daily. Get alone with me on a regular basis. And along with that, allow my words that you read in the Bible remain in you. Spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. And if you're walking with me, you can ask for anything you wish, and I will give it to you. That's quite a promise. But it only happens when we walk and talk with Him. So you need to have a daily quiet time. You might wonder, well, preacher, what's the best time to have a quiet time? I think the best time to have a quiet time is when you're at your best. And only you can answer that. I know for some of you it's a stretch to find the best. But, you know, we all have a time in the day when we are at our best. It used to be years ago, my best time was at, was at night in the evening. Man, I was jacked up, pumped up, ready to go. I could stay up late. What happened to that? Yeah. That's good. Now, now I'm an old man, you know, and my best time is in the morning. And so that's when I give my time to God. The first thing I do in the morning is, is brew a cup of coffee, and I sit in my red chair, and I pull out my telephone which has my Bible app on it, and I have my daily Bible reading as I drink coffee, as I listen to God's Word, and as I pray to the Lord. If you are going to become the Christian God has called you to be, number one, you must have this discipleship discipline built into your daily life. Get time with God every single day. That deals with your time. The second discipline deals with your money. And I'm about to lose part of you because you're going to tune out right here, right? We're going to call this stewardship because it does deal with money. And here's the deal. You need to give a tithe to God every week. Tithing is the spiritual habit of giving back to God the first 10% of what God allows me to make. So if I make 100 bucks. $10 of that goes back to God right off the top. If I make $1,000, a hundred of it goes back to God. Now here's the good deal. I get to keep 90% and God says you take the first 10% and in an act of worship, you give that 10% back to me. Now you might be wondering, why in the world would anybody do that? I mean, why would you do that? Well, the biggest reason, I guess, is because God says so. 
I mean, God is pretty emphatic about this. If you are a Christian, this is what you are called to do. You're told, you're commanded to do it, to give the tithe to God. And I suppose that's reason enough. If you don't do it and you're a Christian, you are disobeying God. Bottom line. But there's more to it than that. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So the reason I give my tithe weekly is to draw me closer to God. That's what tithing does. The more you tithe, the closer it draws you to God. Again, the Bible said, wherever you put your money, that's where your heart is. If I put my money in a boat or in a house or in a car or in possessions, that's where my affections go. Wherever I put my money, that's what becomes important to me. And if I put God first in my money, that means, God, you're first in my life. In fact, you can show me how you spend your time and your money, and I'll show you what's really important in your life. And I'm not even Dr. Phil. I'm just Brother Will, right? No matter what you say is important, you show me your schedule and your checkbook stubs, and I will show you what's really, really important in your life. Deuteronomy 14.23 tells us that the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always to put God first in your life. If you say, God, I want you to be number one in my life, but He is last place in my budget, then that is a contradiction. Really, folks, the Bible teaches that giving is the antidote to materialism. The materialism of this world says, get, 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 all you can get. The only antidote in getting is in giving, because they are the opposite. As I learn to hold the things of this world in open hands and be able to give those things away, and as I learn to give God back the first part of what He has given to me, it breaks the grip of materialism in my life. And you know what that's doing? That is making me more like God. And what is God like? Well, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave. God is a giver. And if you want to be like God... You've got to learn to be a giver. So the reason for giving a tithe every week is to draw me closer to God. What's the routine for tithing? It's every week. Every week. 1 Corinthians 16.1, Paul said, On the first day of every week, he didn't say every month or every year or at the end of the year or at tax time. No, he said, on the first day of every week, you set some aside of what you have earned and you give it as an offering every week. It's the discipline, the habit of doing it weekly, the habit of giving a tithe to God every week. Now that brings up a couple of questions. For example, like 
What day are we to do it? Well, it's to be on the first day of the week. What is the first day of the week? It's Sunday. Why Sunday? Well, that's when you come to worship God. You come to a public place, and there in the church you worship God. And when you come into that public place to worship God, you are to bring with you something to give back to God. And folks, this is found throughout the Bible. Go back and study the Old Testament clear through to the New Testament. It was incomprehensible for a worshiper in the Old Testament to come before the presence of God empty-handed. It wasn't done. You brought your gift to the Lord. You don't tithe to the United Way. You tithe to your local church where you worship. It's an act of worship. On the first day of the week, you bring your tithe. And why should I give it weekly? Well, it's because God said to here, but you know what? I think a deeper reason is God wants me to be reminded every seven days that he is number one in my life. What if you're paid bi-monthly or monthly? You know, very few of us are paid by the week anymore. Well, what does it say? It says, set something aside. Set aside some of what you have earned so that on the first day of the week you can give it as an offering. So if you make a 1000 bucks and you get paid once a month, you are to set that aside, divide it up, set it aside. And then every Sunday you are to give a part of that as a weekly offering to the Lord. Again, to be reminded, to remind yourself, to allow God to remind you every seven days that He is number one. Now why do we need to be reminded of that? Because we forget. It is amazing what you forget in a week's time. So God says every week when you come into my house, you give a tithe. Because I want to remind you of who I am and what I am. I am Lord of all. And as you give that tithe, you are worshiping me. What's the result of this discipline? Well, it's found in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. It says, bring your whole tithe into my storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord. And see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have room enough for it. Did you know there are more promises in the Bible regarding giving than any other subject? And if you want God's blessing in your life, this is a discipline that you're going to have to develop. You get time with God every day and you give a tithe to God every week. Every growing Christian that I know has a daily quiet time, and they consistently tithe. Now, I don't have to tell you that things are pretty tough economically, do I? I mean, things are tough, but, you know, we haven't got out of the mess we got into a few years ago, and I don't know that it's getting better. And I will tell you again, I am no economic advisor. But I know what the Bible says. And the Bible says if you want to make it in a tight, tough economy, the best insurance plan that you can have is to put God first in your finances. I mean, Malachi 3.10, God says, put me to the test. I mean, <laughs> dude, you can't go wrong. God says, test me in this. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing on you that 
man, you, you won't be able to handle it. You say, God, I, I'm going to do what you say to do, and I'm going to trust you, and I know that you're going to help me make it financially. I, I, I can't tell you of a, of a better guarantee than that. There are more promises in the Bible regarding giving than anything else. And folks, you cannot outgive God. And the only way you're going to be the dynamic Christian that God has called you to be is that if you get a daily quiet time with God, and number two, if you trust God enough to give Him the tithe every single week. And then number three, does this mean we're almost done? Number three, the third discipline is what I'm calling fellowship. In other words, you need to get together with other believers on a regular basis. This is called in the New Testament koinonia. It's a special word made up for the New Testament church. It's this, this special kind of love and bond and fellowship that only believers can have one for another. It's called fellowship. It's sharing and caring. We do that both in a large setting and we also do it in small groups. What's the reason for fellowship? Well, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, Let us not give up on the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage each other. Do you ever need to be encouraged? Some of you need it right now. We all need to be encouraged. Life is tough. We can get discouraged. And the fact is, you're never going to be an effective Christian if you try to do it alone. You need the encouragement that can only come from other believers in Christ. You need the family of faith. You need the church. Life was not meant to be lived isolated on your own, by yourself. You need the family of faith. Years ago, I went to California for the first time, and on that first trip, they took me up to the mountains, and I saw the redwood trees for the first time. Those are amazing trees. They're huge. And, and I was shocked to discover that their roots are not deep at all. In fact, their roots are very shallow. But they withstand the wind and the storms by spreading their roots out and intertwining their roots with the other trees, and therefore they hold each other up. Literally, one tree is holding the other tree up with the root system. And when I first learned that and saw that visually with my eyes, I thought, what a perfect picture of the church and of our fellowship. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be intertwining our roots, our spiritual roots with one another, holding each other up, strengthening one another. Because I tell you something, folks, winds are going to blow our way. Storms are going to come into our life. And you can't stand all by yourself. You need a church, family, standing, supporting, and holding you up. Well, I, I got a feeling snow's a-coming. I think snow's, I think we're going to have a lot of snow this year. What do you think? I don't know if you like snow or not. I tell you, it's pretty to look at, but that's about it. Sometimes it's fun to roll some snow up and hit other people in the face with a snowball. I like doing that occasionally. 
You know, you take one little snowflake, and it's nothing, is it? One single snowflake is frail. But if you take enough snowflakes and you stick them together, it can stop traffic on 540. It's amazing. You know, I'm very limited in what I can do by myself as a believer. You're amazing. You are. But you're limited in what you can do. However, when you get all of us together, it's pretty amazing what God can do. And that's what our fellowship is about. If we are to have an impact on this country and in our world, we've got to stick together. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. You know, I've, I, dude, I've been doing this a long time. I don't know how long I've been a pastor. I, I can't remember. It's been a long time. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, well, I'm just going to miss church this week. It's, it's no big deal. It's no big deal if I miss church a week. Yes, it is a big deal. Let me tell you something. You may be unaware of it, but you will begin to dry up spiritually in one week if you miss the fellowship of other believers. You need to be in God's house every single week. You need God's people intermingled in your life every single week. You need to be with other believers. What's the routine? Well, the routine is to do it in church and in homes. Acts 5.42, they met day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. So they were meeting in a large group setting, but they were also meeting in small groups. And notice they were doing it day after day. They didn't just meet on Sunday. They got together whenever they could. If all the contact with other Christians you get is on Sunday, you're not having enough contact with other Christians. And you need more than just a Sunday fix. You need it more than just once a week. Because the world is going to be pulling you down. I mean, this is, this is Sunday. This is God's day. It's a holy day. But I guarantee you, you leave this place, you walk out these doors, and the world is going to start its drag on you. The world is going to start pulling you down. That's why to me it's so important that we do our best to get back midweek on Wednesday because we need that infusion of what we can only get here. And we don't just need it in a large setting. We need it in small group settings as well. We need to be a part of something that's bigger than us. That's what we do here on Sunday mornings. And this is amazing. I'm inspired when I listen to the great singing, not only done by our priest team, but by you. I'm motivated by the sense of God in this place and the power that I get. My, my spiritual batteries get charged up. You get instruction from God's Word. But you know what? You, you can't really share prayer requests in a large setting like this. You can't get to know other people in a large setting like this. You can't let your spiritual roots dig down and intertwine in the lives of other people so that when the winds of time blow and the storms come up, you'll be able to stand. You need a smaller group to do that. And that's why we have Sunday school, Bible study on Sunday night. That's why we have all these other ministry groups meeting throughout the week to give you as many opportunities as we possibly can for you not only to learn the Word of God, but also to develop this Christian fellowship that is so vital 
for your spiritual health. Well, what's the result of getting together with other believers? Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 tells us that two are better off than one because they are more effective. If you want to be more effective in your Christian life, bottom line is you need to get together with some other believers. There are there's strength in numbers. For a Christian to say, I, I don't need any other Christians. I, I don't need a church family. I don't need a small group. That's suicide. Hey, you, you know what that is? That's crazy talk, man. That's crazy talk. We need each other to grow. We need one another to develop. I don't know if you've been keeping up with high school football, have you? Is your team winning? Has your team won 50 in a row? I better step over here when I talk about this. I'm, I'm not bragging as a Greenwood Bulldog fan, but let me tell you, what the Bulldogs are doing is pretty amazing, really. And, I, and you know, I love you Alma fans and you, you Van Buren fans and you Fort Smith fans. I love all y'all, but I'm, I'm proud to be a Greenwood Bulldog right now. What's, what's amazing to me watching these, the, these Bulldogs on this long winning streak is it somehow or another, and I don't know how he does this, he's, he's a genius. Coach Rick Jones just figures out how he's going to win. We can be behind at halftime, but he'll take those boys in the locker room and they'll come back out and they'll dominate in the second half. It's amazing. And what's also amazing to me is they're doing it with, with smaller athletes than other teams. For example, this Friday night in the semifinal game, they are going to be playing the Pine Bluff Zebras. From Pine Bluff, Arkansas. I lived there for how many years? Seven years. They grow them big in Pine Bluff. They are huge. They are fast. They are tough and they are mean. How do I know that? Well, I've seen them play. Greenwood played them last year in the 6A championship game. And if you were at War Memorial last year to see that game and you walked out there and saw the two teams before they kicked off, you would think this little Greenwood team doesn't have a chance because the zebras were so much bigger and faster. But we beat them. I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. I'm not going to say that we're going to beat them this Friday night. I, I hope we do. You know what? If we do, it's going to be the bulldog way. And you say, well, what is the bulldog way? Well, the bulldog way is team. Team first. It's not just one single athlete, even though there's some great athletes on the team. Rick Jones teaches teamwork. You team tackle. So it's not just one guy out there trying to tackle everybody. It's the whole team tackling. Back when I played football, we called it gang tackling. We were hoodlums from Midland. Gang tackling. Everybody tackles. You think I'm delirious, don't you? What is he trying to get at? Here's what I'm getting at. You're going to come up against some problems in life that are just too big for you. And on your own, you can't tackle them. On your own, you're going to get ran over. It's going to be like Herschel Walker running right over you. Because that's the way life is. 
you know what? We need help. We need a team to help us tackle the problems in life. We need a team that's going to rally and come alongside of us and help us through the difficult times. Pity the poor man or woman who doesn't have a team, who doesn't have a church, who doesn't have other believers that will come alongside of them and fellowship with them and strengthen them. Every one of you, listen to me. You need a church home. You need the fellowship of other believers. If you're going to make it, you've got to have it. So here are three indispensable disciplines. The ones you can't get along without if you're going to make it in the Christian life. These three. And they affect your time, your money, and your relationships. Let me tell you, if God is number one in all three of these areas, then He is number one in your life. And that is a life that God will bless. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would just speak to each heart that is here. Lord Jesus, if there's someone here today that does not know You as personal Lord and Savior, I pray that that person...